0: I'm Larry Galko.
1: I'm Roger Berkowitz, and this is Name Brands, the podcast about the story behind your favorite brands.
0: So, Roger, would you consider yourself a fashion icon? Uh, yeah, kind of.
1: I mean, you know, for purposes of this studio, I suppose.
0: (laughs) Well, today's guest is a man whose name is a brand. Here's our conversation with Joseph Abood.
1: Joining us now our Named Brands is a gentleman whose name itself really epitomizes a name brand. That's fashion designer Joseph Abood, who, according to Karen Grossman, editor of MR Magazine, a menswear trade publication, calls you probably the world's most talented menswear designer alive today. Over the years, Joseph Abood has been the only person to have been named the menswear designer of the year twice. And in 2016, received the Person of the Year Award from the American Apparel and Footwear Association. Joseph grew up in a humble Catholic Lebanese family uh, in Roslindale, Massachusetts, and despite moving to New York, remains a diehard Red Sox fan, often calling into sports shows like WFAN in New York to speak about his beloved Red Sox. That is true character. Uh, Joseph, Larry and I are honored to have you here uh, today. Now, I know you're thinking to yourself, phew, thank God this is a podcast because here I am dressed to the nines <laughs> sitting between, if you know Yiddish, two uh, slumpers.
2: Uh, uh, all I can say is I think you guys look pretty good. I think you guys look <laughs> great. Uh, all right, so, so
0: Larry, uh, describe what you're wearing, Larry. So well, I, I'm wearing a beautiful Joseph Boot style blazer. Uh huh. Unlike yourself, Roger. Oh, and Roger's <laughs> wearing one of our best. <laughs> Larry stepped into it. Okay. I knew I said, it. I you were going there.
1: Unlike myself, Joseph, tell, would you tell him? You know, I'm, it's like knowing your chi- your I children. Roger's wearing one it. of our,
2: you know, that's the riding, that's a great vest. But it looks great the your way you wear it. Your daughter picked it out for you. Yeah, Lila me. did, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. It I looks look, great on you. I knew you were going there. Yeah. I knew <laughs> it. Yeah, no, before, you didn't. No, I did.
0: Before, before I said, I'm wearing Joseph's blazer, you said nothing. I said, that's in a boot. Yeah, I, I, you, know, you know, it's like, like I said, knowing your kids. As soon as I walked in, I said,
2: that's a great looking vest.
0: Well, anyway,
1: you look great in a great and the um, and, and the plaid blazer and uh, perfectly you. dressed pants and shoes. <laughs> <laughs> so, so,
2: a lot of pressure, though. Too. A lot of yeah, pressure, yeah, though, right? right, Roger? A lot of pressure.
1: <laughs> no pressure for you. Pressure for us. We're the schlumps, anyway, outside of this, outside of my vest. So here you are, growing up in Boston, not yes. exactly the fashion capital of the world. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was the trigger in those early days to sort of propel you... Do we are today?
2: Yeah. You know, the old line is, can you tell us how you got to where you are today? And Mm -hmm. I always say I have no idea. Mm -hmm. Um, But really what it was was I always loved clothes when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And sort of watching the old films, you know, to watch like Cary Grant and Fred Astaire and Gary Cooper. And there was a certain rugged elegance to these guys, the way men dressed. And, you know, I, I found very early on that dressing well opened doors, first impressions, Mm. And, um, you know, ironically, was voted best dressed at Roslindale High School. One of my great distinctions in, in my career. When you other uh, fellow students
0: who were wearing sweatshirts and jeans, whatever. Well, right? yeah.
2: And okay. I can just t- to tell you, I was talking about this today, you know, during the Vietnam War and, and, and all of the protests down Boylston Street. And, you know, I was going to school in blazers, shirts and ties at UMass Boston. Well, all the other kids were in ripped-off jeans and peace jackets, but I did it because I had to go to work. And all right. the kids thought I was one of the professors, but I was really <laughs> just a kid trying to make a few bucks. But I always did think that dressing well uh, opened doors, and there was a certain romantic aspect to it and an elegance yeah. that, uh, you know, I didn't know how to articulate it back then, mm-hmm. but I realized there was something special about, you know, being dressed appropriately. And, and for men to dress like men and to look like men and to be the, the heroic figure.
0: So, Joseph, you, you went mm-hmm. to UMass Boston, mm-hmm. and you majored in comparative literature. That's right. Far Cry from fashion design. Right. And then I heard that in your junior year, you had the good fortune um, to go to Paris. Yeah. Study there. In Boston, you worked at Louis for many years. That's correct. And I believe it was the meeting of Ralph Lauren. Yeah, I met so, Ralph Lauren there, So yes. sh- Share with us that defining moment of where you went from Boston being a stock boy and a designer and the, and a sales consultant to the big lights, so is right. the big apple.
2: So uh, I was fortunate enough, uh, UMass was wonderful. I was fortunate enough to get a scholarship to uh, go to Paris for my junior year and mm. to study at the Sorbonne and to live in Paris. Now, wow. for a working-class family, we could have never afforded that. Uh, and that was, uh, you know, I'd never been on a plane before right. uh, mm. at 17 or 18 years old. And If we traveled, it was to Connecticut or Providence. Those were the <laughs> glamorous spots uh, for <laughs> vacation. So that year in Paris, you know, I used to take the tea all the time. From uh, Forest Hills into mm-hmm. downtown Boston. Right. So the tea to me was a working class uh, man's way of, of uh, getting from place to place. So I get to Paris. And I remember one, one thing that really hit me. I'm, I'm on the metro in Paris. And the doors open up at the, at the opera stop. And a man walks in in a tuxedo. And a woman walks in in a, in a gown. And I said, I don't know what world this is, mm-hmm. but this is a world I want to live in. And I I always remember that was one of those defining moments of the style and sort of the easy glamour of a city like Paris. Now, this is 1970, 71, Mm -hmm. so there were no Starbucks there. no It was a completely different world. Mm -hmm. Communication was much different then. Mm -hmm. But I saw a world of beauty and style that was everywhere, in the architecture and the cafe society. And so when I came back, um, that sort of stayed with me. And, you know, a story that – was so important. I had a difficult year that year in, in, in Paris. My mom was diagnosed with breast cancer, and she was dying. And my sister wanted me to come back, and I had to make it through the year. I didn't want to give up. Mm-hmm. It was a difficult year. But my professor, John McCombie, who was a brilliant man, on my birthday on May 5th, when I turned 21, he took me to have dinner at a cafe across from Notre Dame, and he handed me the greatest gift I have ever gotten, which was Ernest Hemingway's book, A Movable Feast. And a movable feast says that if you're lucky enough to live in Paris as a young man, it stays with you for the rest of your life like a movable feast. And I turned 21 when the bells chimed at Notre Dame. And so that changed my life in terms of my view of where I wanted to go and what I wanted to do. And the, and the style that I was surrounded, I remember that night like it was yesterday. And uh, that really did change my life. Wow. Very, interesting. Very yeah.
1: interesting. You know, it's funny that you, you mentioned that. Uh, coincidentally, when I turned 21, I was in because I was on a semester abroad. I was I happened to be in in Amsterdam at yeah. the time, but I we used to hitchhike weekends to, <laughs> get to Paris. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And, and I remember being 21 in Paris, and you're right, it was a magical place. It was, particularly
2: it was. when you're that age. And when you turn 21, and you know, I studied literature, and I lived in the Latin Quarter, and it was two streets over from Ernest Hemingway, and there was. This, Sense of the expatriates, and you could feel the history and the richness. And there's a there's a sadness and a and a and a, and a magical experience in Paris when you're young and you have challenges. It it really did change my life.
1: And and you started working with Ralph Lauren in in, in the early 80s. 80s. Yes. What was it that you learned with Lauren in those early
2: yeah. years? That right. I had two great mentors <laughs> in my life. One was Murray Perlstein from Louise of Boston was yes. like a dad to me. He was a tough guy but probably one of the most brilliant merchants I've ever met in my entire life. And we don't have many of those today. Most people are numbers driven and they aren't instinct driven. They aren't merchants. Mm-hmm. So I'd spent 12 years with him and then 5 years with Ralph who is one of the who fiercely protects his brand. One thing Ralph knows is what his brand is and what his brand isn't. So what I learned from Ralph is focus, dedication and being true to who you are. And I loved working with him. I I see him occasionally. You know, we live in the same town. Um, And you know what? He was a huge part of my life. But it was because of that and because of Louis that I said, am I any good or is it just because I worked for good companies? I mean, and I had that question (laughs) about, mm -hmm. you know, maybe it's just I'm working with. And I wanted to know that. I didn't want to, you know, retire someday and say, could I have done it? Would I have done it? So um, if I'd known how difficult it was going to be, I probably wouldn't have done it. But it was was that moment that I knew that there was a place in fashion that wasn't being addressed, that there was a very traditional Ivy League preppy look here in the United States, and there was very fast European fashion. But there wasn't an American international fashion, meaning Mm. to make American men more sophisticated so that they could be world citizens, global citizens, that they didn't always have to feel like the pink button-down, penny loafer, khaki guy that you could identify as an American—you know, five mm. miles away—I right. wanted yeah. us to be more global citizens, and so my color palette was different, my silhouettes were different, uh, and we hit a nerve. And it was—but well, I remember the night before we opened the first collection, I said, "Oh my God, what am I doing? Why did I do this?" <laughs> but it—but it turned out okay. Yeah, you know,
1: it's interesting going back to your your Paris experience. Had you not gone on that semester abroad, right. it would have been difficult. You know, sort of I think so. giving you sure. the confidence to say, this is what I
0: need to do. Because you, you, know, you, you get a perspective yeah. and an insight that you would never yes. gotten yeah. elsewhere. Yes, but,
2: I, you, know, yeah. it's as, um, you know, I think Kelly Clarkson, her song is, you know, what doesn't kill you makes you stronger. Well, it's true. I mean, you learn mm-hmm. how to overcome adversity. I'm, I'm sure all of us, you guys have oh, yeah. been through it. Mm-hmm. Um, you really have to overcome that. And you have to have some intestinal fortitude to say, you know what? It didn't go the way I thought, but I have to. Pick myself up and keep going. Otherwise, you roll up in a fetal position and you know right. let the world take over. No, I
0: mean you have a passion, you have a commitment,
2: yeah, and tenacity
0: to saying I whatever, whatever it takes, I'm going to do this. Yeah, yeah. It,
2: I guess you're right, and it is intuitive and instinctive. If someone said, "Could you write a you know a business plan?" I, I don't know if I could for that. You know how it all worked out, but I, I do know that experience was very helpful. for mm-hmm. me in That knowing my Louis experience. Knowing my Ralph Lauren experience, that I I really did know my craft, even though people might not have known who Joseph Aboud was when I launched my first collection. By the way, it's this is our thirtieth anniversary. Yes. Congratulations. Congratulations! You know, yes. and and sometimes survival is the greatest form of success. So yeah, thank That's you, Ezra Miller. Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. So um, it's it, it's we've had some challenging times, but I I love every minute of it. You know,
0: in thirty years, right? If we, if we could roll back the Joseph Aboud reel, mm-hmm. is there one or two things? that you would have maybe taken a different path, a different angle yeah. at? Yeah, a couple of them. Yeah. Um,
2: I've always tell the people, and I've taught courses at Fordham University called the Management of Creativity, and I try to tell creative people how to use their instincts intelligently to, uh, to to really kind of study what you're doing and the decisions that you make. And I made a couple of decisions on choosing some people in management because it was it was expedient versus, and mm-hmm. my gut told me not to do it, and I was 100% right, I shouldn't have done it. We've so, all been there, Joseph. Can I tell you something? You know, Roger, I, I think about that was one of the defining mm-hmm. moments that created a lot of problems for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, turned out to be a dishonest guy and and uh, legal issues. and mm-hmm. But but those things, you know what? It happens to all of us. And I don't know if you can. That's I always say, too, no one goes through life undefeated. It's a question of it builds character and, and helps us overcome right. it.
1: Take the punches and come back. You, you have to do it. You yeah. know?
2: And as I said, anybody with success and experience like you guys know exactly what I'm talking about. It's important to teach young people, especially when I'm teaching mm-hmm. courses, to understand that it's not going to be a straight road to success. They're you know, be it's interesting.
1: Changes. I'm not sure the millennial generation actually gets there. Yeah. It's, a,
2: it's, it's because it's not that they're not smart. It's, it's more like the Asian culture, which respects age and wisdom. Mm. We are such a youth-oriented culture. And that's great because mm-hmm. the energy is wonderful. I've got mm-hmm. two millennial daughters, you know. Yeah. I'm exposed to all of it, but it's it's just that they haven't acquired the wisdom. Yet. Right. It's not that they aren't brilliant and they know how to do things and, we and, never know.
1: How to and do. sometimes our generation did a bad job of coddling them a little bit. Too Probably much. yes. Because I see that in the workforce. I mean, you know, in in, in sort of trying to motivate people to do something. It's Different today. Oh, it is yeah. unbelievable. I, you know, I think and, you need a yeah, yeah. degree in And psychology. also in other
0: words, patience. You know, they lack a lot of the patience that it takes. Larry, when we
2: when we were doing this, yeah, my parents, you know, first generation, said, you know, keep your shoes shined, say yes sir, no sir, always present yourself. You had to give to get. Mm. Now kids graduate from college and they want to be VPs. That's right, right. Mm -hmm. And so the work ethic to go in to learn your is, and I know it sounds a little old fashioned, and but you have to learn your craft. You have to. I always wanted my bosses to be proud that I worked for them. Yeah. You know, I yeah. always wanted Mari Perlstein to say, yeah, you know, Joe Bood works for me. And when I went into the market as a buyer, I knew I was representing him. Well when I was designing for Ralph Lauren, my job was to make him proud of the work that I was mm-hmm. doing. I think the young generation has to understand it can't just be remember we we talked about we used to call the me generation in the 70s oh yeah right well every generation is a me generation <laughs> right and the millennials are me generations and so the real question is can they learn that it's really a much more interactive give and take than just tell me what you can do for me now and i think that's 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 really important for them
0: now you have this fall collection it's interesting that you've titled it the inspired Gothic literature, Dark and Mysterious. I'd like to know, Joseph, in your mind, okay, right, right. of all the different avenues you could have taken right. Why that and one? approaches, what uh, led you to the dark side of Joseph Gothic, Abou- Dark yeah. and Mysterious. Yeah.
2: Well, you know, the one thing is, I always used to say, when everybody thinks they know where you are, you're someplace else. So you don't want moss to grow on you. You know, part of the thing mm-hmm. about being creative is to sort of exercise your craft, and we all have to do that. We all have to get better at what we do. Well, I, it was, I always really had to play on words, the dark side of Joseph Aboud. Um, I always use literature as inspiration for my fashion shows. So for last spring, Ernest Hemingway and, and The Movable Feast uh, and you know, Old Man and the Sea, that was the inspiration for the spring collection. It was all linens and naturals and had Havana and had the whole Cuban feel. Well, this was one of my most favorite statues in the whole world is at 1 Charles Street which is Edgar Allan Poe's statue. That's There's a little bronze statue yes. right over by yes. the public garden. Yes. And it's a huge raven, you know? Yeah. So I think in my life I probably would have rather taught than do what I do. But in a certain way, I always use my literary background as inspiration for collections. So oh, I loved, wow. and I always want some American aspect to it, right? So mm-hmm. who better than Edgar Allan Poe? The dark side, and and the dark side also represented the new, the new dark purples and the stained glass blues. And I and I didn't do my traditional browns and rusts and olives in that show. Mm-hmm. I kept it all dark and it and there were dark purples and it was color wise and we did it in a church. A decommissioned church if that's the appropriate term. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, it was really dramatic. It was so much fun to do. Wow, and it had a, wow. it was really an amazing show.
0: So your comparative literature studies at UMass did have, yeah, a, yeah.
2: Did have an effect
0: later on, and right? Everything. We
2: did a collection. We did the yeah. whole um, James Fenimore Cooper, Last of the Mohican collection a number of years ago, where there were these sort of great kind of um, fringe jackets. And so I always use that because That's great. it helps me two ways. It helps me to define what the shapes are, the silhouettes. Mm-hmm. It also helps me define the color palette. So I've done that every, you know. I always find I don't know. Well, I do know what the next one will be, but I'm not telling. Hey, no, it's, it's, <laughs> no, no, but just it, but just, uh, talk, just talk. No, no I'm, I'm talk about <laughs> that's, that's right. That's right. <laughs> no, I'm impressed
1: that you know the, the way your mind works like that, and really uh, making a theme, but tying it into, uh, uh, you know, uh, the literary
2: aspect. Right. Of well, it does. It helps me, like I said, on all fronts. Right. It can define my color palette. I know what to do and what not to do. Um, it defines what kind of shape and what kind of details, lapels, buttons. So I really have a base to build a collection from, and, it's, and it generally is very consistent that way and coherent. You're going
1: against the grain in terms of manufacturing. Mm-hmm. Most people are cutting back in the U.S. Yeah. when it comes to clothes. I'm, I'm guessing much as uh, some is in, in Italy, Asia, yeah. Portugal. Mm-hmm. You're one of the few, if the only one, manufacturing clothing in not only in the United States, New Bedford, Massachusetts. Tell us a little bit
2: about that. Yeah, when I when I launched my first collection in 1987, my partners were Italians. And we decided that they were the partners behind Giorgio Armani and Valentino. Hmm. And they made in Italy. And they really felt, "Wow, we have an American designer now." Why don't we make in America? This is 1986-87. Wow. So we found a great factory in New Bedford, Massachusetts, that had a very strong work ethic with its, a lot of Portuguese folks who are amazing, amazingly talented mm. with you know sewing skills. And we imported Italian technology into New Bedford. So I always say, we have an Italian factory in the heart of New Bedford. Right. And to me, for 30 years, we have been making clothing in the same place. And that has been the anchor of the Joseph Abood business. And I remember the first year, and I tell the story all the time, the first year, that first collection, we sold uh, 2,000 suits and jackets. And when I say that, I'm meaning, you know, shouldered suits, <laughs> whether you have <laughs> canvas construction. Last year, we produced almost 330,000 garments in that factory. And we have over wow. 750 people there in New Bedford. Wow. We're one of the largest employers in New Bedford. Uh, and we love our people there. It's a wonderful partnership. Mm. And I'm so proud of that. Not There's a distinction between making in America and making well in America. And I'm so proud that we make it well in America. We use, as you know, Roger and you know, Larry, you've been in the store. We use mm-hmm. incredibly beautiful fabrics from Italy, the finest mills, Laura Piana, Zegna, uh, all of these great mills that just produce the most beautiful fabrics. And we're the largest user in North America.
0: And then you have folks in the Bedford that take such great pride. I'm sure many of them have been with you for decades. They've been
2: 25 years, and you know what they do? They walk into the stores sometimes, and they'll say, I made that lapel. I made that shoulder. Uh. They take enormous pride in what they do, and we're so proud of them.
0: Yeah. Just going back to your collection, mm-hmm. how do you, because when you're designing for the season, or I'm just curious, right now, what season are you designing for?
2: Unfortunately, I live in three seasons. I'm I'm designing fall 18 now. I'm finishing up and watching the deliveries of fall 17, mm-hmm. and I finished up all the design ends for spring 18. So I and even I get confused sometimes when I'm looking <laughs> at my fabric. I'm going, what season am I looking at? Uh, I'm 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 sort of we're just in the beginning process or sort of almost to the mid process of fall 2018 a year from now.
0: So when you're or designing 20. right now and even the the Gothic Collection, how do you intimately know uh, the emotional relevance to the customer that you're selling to? And can yeah. you define who is that person you're selling to in terms of the demographics, mm-hmm. psychographics, lifestyle? Right. Right.
2: Well, you know, I think there's, I always think about as much as I love doing the runway, and mm-hmm. the runway is an art form, right? Mm-hmm. We know that we exaggerate what we do. But my goal is for the customer, my customer, who trusts me. Uh, can I provide him for the clothes that you, you know, if, if you're traveling, can I provide a suit that you can use as a dressy suit and then decide I'm going to throw the jacket on with a pair of jeans and a turtleneck? So I'm always thinking on, the, on a more pragmatic mm-hmm. side when I design for guys because men shop differently than women. Um, they're more investment oriented when they want to buy their clothing. I'm very, very um, focused on all, what you just said. Does it work for them? Do they look good in it? Do they get compliments? And will they come back? And so I, and, and you know, the relevance of, I you know, I can go out there and have a great artistic dream, and sometimes I might want to use that as theater and as an art form, but ultimately I want to come back to not designing for the press, but designing for you guys, designing for the consumer,
0: because right.
2: that's where you win or lose. Mm-hmm. You know, um, the press doesn't pay your bills. No. And right? the
0: customer becomes your brand ambassador.
2: They are. Your, and you have legion you cannot, of fans. You can't right. pay for that. And you know that but than anyone, Larry, that clearly happy customers. I mean, you know, we've, we in our New York, on our Madison Avenue store in New York, which is our flagship store, you know, it's at 49th and Madison. So we're, at, we're right across from some great hotels. We're right near mm-hmm. Saks. The amount of international customers that we get who don't really know the brand. Is fascinating to me. I try to get in the store maybe once a week mm-hmm. just to observe. Like, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, Roger, sure. you want to be in the restaurant? I don't care if they know who I am. I don't really care. I want to see how the clothes fit them, what the service is like. So I want to be hands-on and close to my customer. I, I,
1: I want to stand by, the, by the, the doors you're leaving to get the final <laughs> comments. <laughs> I know.
2: Well, listen, that's what yeah. we do. Yeah. Uh, and so it's, it's, it's as any other business. Mm-hmm. You have to stay focused on it. But I really do want to honor my customer, respect my customer, and give him stuff he can't find anywhere right. else. And, you
0: know, when you do that, it's funny. Years ago when I consulted with Disney, I'm saying this in a very flip way, but Disney does not care the customer is satisfied. They don't care. It's all it's all about loyalty. You might come there and be satisfied for a week, but if the average person, in the family takes the family of four four years to, to save for a Disney vacation, they want to make sure you come back the following year. So, you, so you're not satisfied that people come in once and buy whatever they buy, but you want to be loyal to come back more often, one more, more times.
2: Great specialty then, stores. That's what right. It's all and then when someone oh, yeah. says,
0: "Hey, you know, you know, Joseph, you know, with Larry, you look great. Where'd you get it? I go out at Joseph Boots over in Madison." Yeah. You know, what, the ambassador, what's
2: the best advertising you can get? Is word it's of authentic. Mouth. And, right, and that's never going to change. That's Absolutely, right. what, so, whether it's in social media or word of mouth, and art. with and with social media, oh, huge. It's multiplied tenfold. Absolutely, yeah, right, yeah. So, yeah, yeah
1: it's mm. what, what's going on with tailoring in yeah. the U.S. I, yeah. and, and and I'm going to uh, anecdotally speak from uh, my experience. Um, my tailors tend to die off and there's not anyone to replace them. I'm, I'm on my, you know, I, I have this uh, uh, woman uh, from Greece. She's in her uh, mid-60s. She yeah. does an unbelievable yeah. job. You're lucky. But, but you, you know, where are they? Because I, I have to go and I have to drive well out of my way in order to get there.
2: What, what is happening to the art of tailoring? Well, that's one of the most important dynamics in men's clothing. You can buy a beautiful suit, but if it's not tailored right, it looks terrible. Conversely, you can buy a less expensive suit, and if it's tailored right, mm-hmm. you know, it looks pretty good. So there aren't as many tailors, unfortunately. People aren't growing up wanting to tailor. But that's one of the advantages we have in our stores is our, is our tailor force. And they are amazing. I mean, I'm talking about the finesse of the waist, the silhouette, the sleeve. You, you know, Roger, Mm -hmm. you guys love Mm -hmm. clothing. I mean, Larry, you know, you're wearing your blazer. How can you tell looking? I mean. No, but Roger, you know, Uh. I I feel like I've known Roger. I feel like I've known Roger 30 years. Mm -hmm. I've been, he has no bigger fan than me. And he knows that. I'm such uh, a huge fan of Roger and his restaurants. I love them. They're my favorite Mm -hmm. place to go. Um, But I've always believed that when you do these things that you're dedicated to, um you know, the the product that you make, the services that you offer. You know, that's our job. That's, that's what we do. And it's really important. You know, it's
0: interesting. Everybody always talks about how to keep your brand, whether it's Roger or yourself. How do you keep your brand fresh? One thing you have done is that you have reinvented the custom suit business. Because years ago, if you want a custom suit... You'd pay two thousand dollars, only the elite could afford custom suits. Right. And you brought that category down to like around seven ninety-five, and you get it in three weeks. And so share share with me yeah. what came into the decision-making process to reinvent the custom suit.
2: The custom suit business is our fastest growing business. And it was exactly that right. Exactly that. Years ago, it was only for the elite mm-hmm. and only for the hard to fit. If you were misshapen or had <laughs> A broken <laughs> shoulder, or yeah. You, yeah. it yeah. was yeah. A, it was a service. <laughs> right, right. It has morphed into a style play, right, right? where uh, a forty regular can go in and say, you know what, I want a three-piece bold gray pinstripe suit, and I want it with a peak lapel, and I want it with a ticket pocket, and I want pick stitching. Mm-hmm. So guys are buying the suits because the experience is great, and now that we've democratized it and we've mm-hmm. made it where you don't have – it's not – I've never liked the elite game. I don't believe in that. I believe in if style is important, it's important for everyone. And a guy just graduating college. Mm -hmm. But if he can afford a custom suit, Mm. how great is that? There's individuality. And, yeah, we're we're so proud of that, the growth of our business. And, um, you know, couldn't be happier. About a third of our factory now in New Bedford is producing custom suits.
0: And it's amazing because your custom suit price is equivalent – to an off-the-rack suit. In many cases. Rooms.
2: Yeah, in many cases. When I look at suits that are six and $7,000, either off the rack, and, and I say, if you're going to do that, go buy a first-class ticket to London, go to Savile Row and make a suit. Because there is no suit off the rack that is worth that money. And mm-hmm. I, I know too much, unfortunately. I know the cost of fabric. The best fabrics that we buy are 50 or $60 a yard that aren't cashmere a nice Worcester to super 150s, you only need four yards of fabric to make a suit, four and a half yards, maybe five if you're making a vested suit. So when I see these prices and I see these huge margins that many of the stores take, I feel so bad for the customer getting really taken over the coals at these prices. You
1: know, when I I think of you, I think of Mercedes in that you, you have an established brand and then you figured out, like cars, how to offer different models. But the DNA is runs right scary. through it, and I, I think that's brilliant. Not a lot of people have been
2: able to do that. Well, thank you. And I think, well, you know, the idea is, and I—it's funny you use Mercedes. A lot of times I use BMW, and I say you get the seven series, the five okay. series, the three series, the one series. They all carry the quality behind it. You just happen to get more at each level that you choose to go up. But you try to, and it's important to stay within the brand. Uh, but I, I love doing the custom thing.
0: And, no. It's great. And you know something that's interesting? Is that, um, it's interesting that um, typically, and we, I think we'll all agree collectively, a lot of men, I, I call it the uniform, navy blue blazer, gray slacks, white shirt. Everyone looks like, I have nothing against accountants. Everyone looks like an accountant, right? If you go to New York City, okay, if I went to New York City tomorrow, Joseph, and I wore a suit with no socks and purple shoes, no one even noticed me. In Boston, if I did that,
2: I'd be probably an outcast, right? Yeah, but Boston's changing though, Larry, because I remember that Louis, even through the 70s and 80s, was I don't know if you guys know this, but Louis was considered to be one of the top three stores in the world. Men's wow. stores. Wow. Not wow. I don't know if Bostonians ever really. No, I don't knew think that. they appreciate it. No. No. They people the, the Italians would genuflect. When Murray Pearlstein walked into their showrooms, everybody, I mean, I, I experienced wow. it at its at its height and it's at its glory. And I, I mean, I basked in it because I, I saw the respect that people had. And when I was the buyer there, I felt I had an enormous responsibility to represent Murray because they had, I mean, it was amazing. But Boston… You know, don't forget, we've got, what, the most universities? I don't know how many. What's the number today? 280 46, to a 300 universities? Yeah. 400,000 We've got the best students, hospitals yeah. in in the world. You've mm-hmm. got such international. It's a mecca for what we're good it at. It is, yeah. to me, and it's where you guys will love this because you're Bostonians.
0: But you are too. Well, I know I am, <laughs> but,
2: but you'll he love it. dual citizenship. Yes, I, I, well, you'll love this because I, the Italians seem to have a little bit more respect for me. Because I was from Boston, and so whenever they'd write an article in the, it said the designer from Boston. So it kind of gave me this, like you know, it gave me a moniker that made me probably more important than I was. But it was interesting how they perceived a designer from Boston, because they always wrote about that. And yeah. so, Boston has a a wonderful international reach. Sure. And you know, I'm I'm biased because it's my favorite city in the whole world. But sure. um, yeah, no, it was funny. But it. You know, it, it. There is more and more global fashion happening, but the talk to the uniform. I. I think every guy does need a great navy blazer. Every guy needs to have that. And if you. If we're giving fashion a, a, advice. So. The, so the navy blazer is a staple. It's a staple, but yeah. it's what you do with it. Right. With jeans, or, but then you should expand your wardrobe outside of just a navy suit and a gray suit because it can get pretty boring. It can. I, oh, told, yeah.
1: I told you, Larry. You weren't listening to me. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know.
2: You know.
1: It, it, I it's I interesting. pretty Cool today. <laughs> Yeah, it's interesting, just to to go back on something (laughs) you said about Boston being sort of international. I got this odd telephone call maybe four or five years ago uh, from an Italian manufacturer uh, whose founder had passed away, and they were going to do a retrospective of him at the Museum of Fine Arts. And they wanted to know if they could have one of our menus to put in the retrospective because he was a big fan.
2: Oh, my God, that's— that's the greatest award you're going
1: to win. That was Brioni. Is that? Okay. I couldn't believe it. Oh I, 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 my god! I, yeah. So I mean, oh, yeah. it's sort of like so. So Boston did draw to your point yeah. a lot of these yeah. folks to you know in there. I had no idea.
2: Well, I think I, Lou. I mean, a lot of them came to mm-hmm. see Louisa. Yes. As people shopped, mm-hmm. and so yeah. But even even beyond that, certainly with the universities and hospitals, and and this city's alive with youth. It's mm-hmm. Just. The best part. Joseph, you
0: know, I mean, years ago, I don't know how many years ago, Casual Fridays Roger just started, what, yeah. 20, 30 years ago, whatever? Yeah. There's an article that came out about yeah, Taylor.
1: I hope you got rid of the leisure suit, Larry.
0: <laughs> yeah. Well, they- <laughs> Tell you stories about those. <laughs> I still have my neighbor's shirt. Right. You know? um, They're back, but that's I another know. story. If you an wait ad- long enough. An, right. An article came out that tailored right. clothing is meant to wear its bright spot. And it said, this two days ago, false sales of clothing are rising especially suits, and sport coats as younger consumers are dressing up more often. Right. And the one of the executives from Men's Warehouse said, we haven't done a good job of storytelling in, in general. However, we need to have more mannequins in our stores and outfit the windows. But right now, suits are selling sport coats three to one. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm kind of shocked at that number. Kind of I thought with the casual yeah. world today, suits were really taking the, the
2: back. The and young guy is getting dressed. Really? The millennial is getting uh. dressed and they... You know what? They're graduating college and they're throwing their chest out and they're going, Man, I look pretty good. They they are on a path to success. And you do have to dress the part. I'm telling you, you, you know, you can't do business in your pajamas. Right. So it's great to see that what what this reminds me of, this I I've said this a couple of times. This period in style, men's style, reminds me of the early 1970s where there was an incredible energy it was way out of control then it was very strange it was a sexual revolution the late 60s a peacock revolution mm-hmm. but there was an energy and excitement that was incredible for that for the millennial age this consumer is he's more controlled but there's that energy again. So it was great shirts. Yeah, and, you, know, and, you remember right. and 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 medallions. <laughs> yes, you know, right. The yes, shirts yes. open to your navel. but <laughs> oh, I, I remember. But, I,
0: I but me- it was beautiful. I, I remember in those days I would go visit uh, this girl in in Canada. I'd be wearing a pee, uh, what's it called the, the pea coat. Yeah, and the shirt and the 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 kerchief, Right. Oh my god, you the, you the, were the, a, a stylista.
2: You were definitely really the the bell bottom, bell bottom pinstripe, but like like the Beatles had? right. <laughs> well, Carnaby Street uh, – and I go, I'm in London maybe four times a year. Carnaby Street, which is still there and they still promote it, is still a fashion street. But that really – the fashion, the Peacock Revolution all came from there. So yeah. it was a fun – it was crazy. There were crazy clothes. But it was a fun, and it was filled with energy. It was really it was amazing.
0: But you know, it aligns with what you said because, and then he goes on saying, "Getting younger customers should be the ultimate goal of all clothing merchants these days, as baby boomers like Roger and I yourself need fewer and fewer right. suits." That's right. Yeah,
2: that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's right. What we buy is we buy the jackets, we buy the vests. Right. Yep. we're we're I, we're I cool like enough. This. We're cool enough to be – uh, cool. To set our own um, – yeah, so everybody listening out there, you know, the millennials, you know, I always say we're just a few chapters ahead of you, but we're still pretty cool. Um, and this generation is, is – the, the boomers, and the great thing about the boomers is that they can do what they want to do. Mm-hmm. So style is still very important for them. But coming back to something you said much earlier, I don't believe in demographics as much as I do psychographics. I've always – I said that to you before. That I really believe that I can get a 28 year old guy in the brand and I can get a 58 year old guy in my brand. If he likes mm-hmm. it, and and you know, you can't be all things to all people. Right. You just can't be. Right. You choose who you want to be, and if, and if it's good, people will find you. So yeah. and that's how I feel At the about end of the
1: day, and, and you talked about this as sort of an underlying thread, it really is about value as well.
2: Isn't it? For sure. Yeah. I mean, customers are too smart today. You know, and I, I, you know, one of the things that I always say, it's not about price, it's about price value. It's not how much you spend, it's what you get for the amount you're willing to pay. Exactly. Uh, and I also think style is it's not about a generation. It's really about you and whether you're 28 or 48 or 58 doesn't style is a very personal thing.
0: So Joseph, what happens like, I'm gonna call it Roger, like recycling. Mm-hmm. You know, all of a sudden you see Madras is hot, Paisley's hot, right, right. a sucker is right, hot, right. and it goes away. Right. And then all of a sudden it, it shows appears up again, again. right? The life cycle of some of these fashions, like, why and how does it show up? Will Searsucker ever show up in a Joseph Boudre brand? A hundred percent. Yes. I, and, and I bought a seersucker
1: pair of pants last year.
2: Yeah. yeah. And you know what? Now, but there's there's new ways of creating seersucker. So right. now we can add a little stretch to it if we want. Right. Now we can, we can tea stain it so that it has a more vintage feel. So there are different things. It always comes back, doesn't ever really come back exactly the same way. Mm. But I laugh in menswear because there are only so many motifs: double-breasted, single-breasted, three-button, two-button. Oh, it's new. It's not new. You know, it's like a dog chasing its tail. We we live in a in a more narrow range of options. But I always laugh when you know, is it coming back? Are the ties going to get wider? You're going to see lapels getting a little wider. You're going to see ties getting a little wider. You're going to see pleats and trousers coming back for the guy that never got out of them. He's more in style really? than he's even, really, at you, Larry. even though he doesn't know it, <laughs> I do not have. I'm not wearing pleats. Right. But <laughs> will you tell him because picking right, on me. <laughs> right. Right. But you know it's great. It's one of those things yeah. where you know it's just, it, there's there's a rhythm to it. And my hmm. job as hmm. as a designer, and if I really want to be uh, dedicated to my customer, is to understand where to take my customer in a smart way. I never want to make him look bad. You know, I always want to be able to walk down the street and see something I designed and go, well, it really looks good. He doesn't have to know who I am, but that's my job as a designer.
0: Well, let me ask you a question, okay? I'm just thinking out loud right now. I'm looking at you, well-dressed. Mm-hmm. You have a lapel that's pretty wide right yeah. now, okay? That's a style. Then I watch Stephen Colbert, the late show, right? Right. And he's wearing, a, always, very conservative suits, maybe a lapel like two inches wide. Right. What gives with both kinds right. of styles in today's day
2: and age? Well, I think there should be somewhat of a laissez-faire attitude about um, style. That I don't think it should be a uniform. I really don't believe that. I think there are guys who like three-piece suits and other guys who like to wear earth tones. And other, I, I, I'm, I'm, As I said, I'm very democratic about how I approach that. There are things that start – like the uber skinny suit now is mm-hmm. starting to look dated to me. It's starting to feel – Okay, I get it. It can't get any skinnier, and it can't get any shorter. It looks like a bar mitzvah suit. (laughs) So I look at these kind of, you know, I can look at like a... I
0: had the iridescent
2: one. Right,
0: right. Well, when I... I I got my iridescent suit at Howard's Clothing. Howard's Clothing, I mean... Green uh, iridescent. It was cool, Joseph. But these young...
1: Mine was (laughs) at Kennedy's, but that's... (laughs) I remember Kennedy's. But I got my my first
0: name blue blazer. Double-breasted at Kennedy's. My grandmother was a seamstress there.
2: Wow. That's amazing. Do you, you realize how many great men's specialty stores there were when we were growing up? Oh, yeah. There was Sumner's in Boston. If oh, yeah. Yes, I do. Yeah. Remember. Louis in Boston. Martini Carl. You Ma- Martini Carl. Oh, I forgot all you about married, that. And, they were, and every city had great men's specialty stores. Mm-hmm. What we did on Madison Avenue in New York is try to recreate that great men's specialty store experience. Great tailoring, offering that you can't find anywhere else, mm. sort of um, – An emporium where there's interesting limited edition pieces, making an experience for shopping. That's really important. So I love when someone comes in, they want to stay there, they want to look. They'll buy. We're not hard sell. We don't believe in that. We believe the product is good enough. If you really want to buy something, we're there to service you. But I love when they come in to explore. It's a fun thing to have them come in and see what you do.
1: Yeah no I, I I went in there uh, you know for a suit and some I I saw the you know, the vest there yeah, I go <laughs> yeah
2: if they're displayed right and you know what your displays and your visuals that you put in are your best salesman they you know guy says oh I, I like the way that suit's put together I'll take the whole thing yeah no it's great so so what would you say
0: what's hot today and what's not hot today
2: I think what's hot is um, a natural sense of your own style, meaning, and I, if you want specific items, but what I'm saying is, mm. the guys that are that have the most style are the guys that look comfortable in their clothing. I'm not talking sloppy now; that they look like they're wearing the clothes. The clothes aren't wearing them. So tailored, tailored to me is mm. when a guy's in a nice blazer, he doesn't have to wear a shirt and tie. He doesn't want to. Mm-hmm. Although, get ready for the net, get ready for the tie because it's hum, it's coming back. Really, so the big really? push for next season is ties. So really? remember we're talking about just when you think I'm going to throw all my ties I, away? I, I had given a lot away. You, better, you might say. want to save a few. Um, but so, and, and to me, what's not hot is when people try too hard in mm-hmm. terms of style, especially men. We should, Coco Chanel was probably one, and I worked for Chanel for two years, designing mm-hmm. their menswear. Um, Coco Chanel was the epitome of women's fashion, forward fashion. The men that she loved were the men in tailored suits from Savile Row. So she, and a lot of her inspiration for her bold collections came from men's apparel fabrics, like great houndstooths and glen plaids. So to me, I love a guy who's well dressed, and I always say, don't let your suit walk into the room before you do, right? You you cool. really need to make sure it's part of who you are, dress for who you are, and you'll be the most attractive guy in the room. What, 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 are, what are the three
1: fashion faux pas that men tend to make that makes you cringe
2: yeah that's the first one is is f- shoes if a guy's going to spend a lot of money on a suit mm-hmm. if you're wearing inexpensive shoes or not shoes that, it, it it just kind of deflates and and I don't know if there's any other implications about this but they always say that women look at men's feet and their hands that's what they say always So I'm not even going to go in that direction, but that's what they say. Let's connect the dots. (laughs) That's right. Right. Um, So that's one. Mm -hmm. Secondly is, um, for me, faux pas is extremely bright color, bright colors on men because it looks unnatural. The guys don't look as um, masculine. Uh, I tend to think they look a little, uh, there's a little bit of a gigolo aspect to it. Hmm. Um, And if I had to say the third thing is poorly tailored that's that's most men don't realize when they buy a suit to your point earlier yeah. Roger how important tailoring is to have the sleeves mm-hmm. your right length the length of your pant right a little bit of shape through that so that it looks like it was a suit made for you yeah. not that it was a hand me down so those things like you know you pick up from you know, I see you know that, those are the things that really. Uh, I'm
1: good. guessing you're also not a fan of the whales on the pants. Well, I, I, shirts I, on I the mean, pants. Not, listen. Let me tell Want you me something. Red
2: I, 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 I am a huge fan of Nantucket. We go there a lot. I love Martha's Vineyard. I love the Cape. I'm not a huge fan of whales and lobsters and anchors on my pants. <laughs> I, 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 I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't want to. I don't want, to, I, don't want to, I don't want to offend anybody out there. But I just think it's if you were 14 or under, it's fine. I mean, they're relatively but, intelligent. They have money. But why would you do it that? It is. It is buying into. It's an old Woody Allen skit where he sees things flashing before his eyes, and he says it's his life flashing before his eyes, and then he realizes it's not his life. Flashing before his eyes. <laughs> so what I'm saying is, it, it's trying to buy into an ideal, and it's very synth- it, You know, to me, it's just it's great for kids, but it's not the way men should dress.
0: You know, playing you just mentioned the thing that irks me. You see someone in a suit or a sport coat, a you know, guy, and his shoes are not polished. That's like you know scuffed up. That to me just like, I, what the heck's going it, on here? It,
2: it, I think it's really important to understand that it's a comp- that guys really need to present themselves as a complete look. If you let one part, you know, mm-hmm. go, it mm-hmm. sort of negates everything else.
0: You in, in, your, in your store, yeah. when you have customers come in, do the guys come and get the custom suit off of themselves? Or are they with their wives or girlfriends or whatever? And it's the wives of the, the female is the one who's helping them uh, yeah, pick out course. what they want to is, wear. Is that
1: the better customer
2: or, or, the, or, or not? I Generally, when it's a man and wife, they generally or are, are boyfriend, girlfriend, mm-hmm. or, it, or significant other, it's generally better when they shop together. And you know they're more serious. And we always engage with, with the wife or the girlfriend. because, And we do a lot of weddings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so we're always, um, you know, we get some celebrities in the store doing weddings. And the woman comes in. And we, we, it's, it's really kind of a fun thing mm-hmm. to problem solve for them. Uh-huh. Okay, you know, We know we don't see the bride's gown, but what colors are you thinking? Yeah. What would you, where is it going to be? Is it on the beach? Mm-hmm. Is it in Scotland? Is it in a church? And so we really try to provide really intelligent information. But I love – we love being able to make people happy about their wardrobe choice, and especially on the wedding and occasion. But the woman is very important in the sale. She she really is. And, um, you know, women I, women discovered my brand before guys discovered it. No, I mean, I'm talking menswear. Mm-hmm. Really? They're the yeah. ones that drove yeah. the guys to my brand. So they saw something in fabric or color that maybe the guy wasn't ready to pick up.
0: I, I like to also – I'd like to congratulate you. Just last week, there were two announcements made, and one was that you were, for ninth year in a row, you're now the official wardrobe supplier to the NBA, the coaches, oh, which, is, which yeah. is super, ninth year. And you just um, inked a nice they, deal. If,
2: if it was the players,
0: it was big and tall. Right? Oh,
2: yeah. right. I know. Well, <laughs> some of them are ex-players when they're big and tall.
0: And 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 Joseph uh, Roger just inked a nice deal. That the same designation with the NHL coaches. Yeah. So Excellent. it shows that Excellent. they'll be well Excellent. dressed during the games.
1: Excellent. Will you get credit on the screen? Um, that really? I
2: don't no, We we work but they but they'll interact with our stores and they they do personal appearances and great. they love doing it and they all love the Made in America product that we make the right. Bedford.
1: All right, now it's time for the lightning round where we fire questions oh, at you. Yes. Oh, this is actually ready. out of all the Woo. lightning rounds we do, this is probably one of the most important that people love the best because there Give was me so- the rule. All right, you you just have to answer honestly. Okay. So, all right. So the the other day uh, I saw uh, we were at a uh, conference. Together, Larry and I, and and Larry's wearing a black shirt untucked. Mm-hmm. And so there is a new uh, clothing store called Untucked. Yeah. Uh, right now, what is your feeling about Untucked?
2: I'm not a big fan of it. It's a one trick pony.
1: I told
0: you, Larry. <laughs> <laughs> no, okay. but no, but Roger said to me when he saw me. I had the I had jeans on and a untucked shirt, and he goes, gee, Larry, you're kind of casual, but you look pretty good. I'm sure
2: you look good. I'm, <laughs> I, I, I'm not, why
0: nice. I'm not <laughs> suggesting it isn't I know. good.
2: It's just not for me.
0: Yeah. yeah,
1: yeah. It looks a little slovenly.
0: Okay. As far as collars, mm-hmm. spread collars versus pointed collars. Right. The spread v- versus button-down. Ver- versus button-down. Button okay. button
2: the two most important collars today are the button-down collar as a more casual collar, in the spread or semi-spread as the dress color. Do
0: you find the button-down sometimes, depending upon if the guy press it or whatever, sometimes it can be very wrinkled-looking?
2: But that is part of the polo, and I don't mean polo Ralph Lauren, but right. the polo, as it was called, that is what it's supposed to do. It's supposed to be more casual. The mm-hmm. button-down is more casual. All
1: right, but, but it can be a little bit, I mean, I...
2: I have a button. Down. Right, yeah, but and, and you, you can wear like and it looks nice. Yours is wearing right. <laughs> but you can wear with a tie. But I, I like right. button downs on a more casual. You okay. can wear ties with them, but I like them with sport coats. But what is suits.
1: what is the what? What should the appropriate
2: length be? They're usually somewhere between two and a half and two and three quarter inches. Is kind of where they should be about now. Okay.
0: Right. You, you've, de- Joseph, you've designed for many celebrities and corporate executives. Mm-hmm. Who haven't you designed for that you'd love to design?
2: Oh, that's so interesting. I'd probably love, because I love Elton John, I would have loved to have done something, but would have been so fun because we would have done Elton John in Earth Tones. So it would have been kind of a fun thing. But I've always thought um, there's that, that that genre we really haven't entered into the world, but, you know, some of the performers are great. But some of the, the reason I want to design for them is because some of the clothes are god-awful.
0: Have you designed for some presidents?
2: Well, almost, yes, for Barack Obama in, a, in another life of mine. And then, uh, Mitt Romney, uh, who was almost president, we've done so. And Mitt, who I, I'm a huge fan of, Mitt Romney's. And, um, you know, you couldn't ask for a better runway model than Mitt Romney. I mean, he looks presidential. Great. Yeah, he yeah, yeah. Looks yeah, great. yeah.
1: All. Yeah. Best wearing materials.
2: It still comes down to natural fibers. that mm-hmm. wools, cottons, and linens. Although there's a lot of performance fabrics that we get involved with. Mm-hmm. My personal favorites are natural fibers. Because they perform so well, and they really are—you uh, know—they breathe with you, they keep you warm. But there is a big movement towards uh, performance fabrics, so ones
1: that stretch some a little stretch,
2: bit. Some um, stretch, some that have certain—you know—anti-wicking. And but I, there's nothing more beautiful than an all-wool suit, or in the summer, an mm-hmm. all-linen jacket. Those are the things that grew up from the earth. I mean, they're—they're they're just beautiful. Thread counts.
1: Did you explain I mean yeah.
2: theoretically higher is better. Yes, that's but. correct. And it's the, it's always about if you talk about suits, super 100s, super 120, super 140s, mm-hmm. super 150s, those things are always uh, a, a, a cost issue. they're more're they're microns, they they're, 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 they're better quality yarn. What you generally find is if you get too high in the fineness of the yarn, they're hard to tailor. But anywhere from super 100s to super 150s, are absolutely beautiful. So if you look at that for a suit and you see someone saying Super 100s, Super 120s, those are pretty special fabrics. Cuffs on slacks or no cuffs? And that's a preference. I think that, um, and both are right. One isn't better than the other. If you're wearing a dressy suit, three-piece suit, I'd probably go with a cuff. If you're wearing a sport coat and maybe a plain front gray trouser, maybe I'd go plain bottom. But either is correct.
1: I've seen an increasing number of men wearing what I would call clown socks, Larry. Oh, and 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 what is what is what is your what is your I uh,
2: I it's it's a little bit what I said about the suit, don't let the suit walk in the room before you mm-hmm. do. Well, don't let your socks walk in the room before you do. I'm not a I'm not a big fan of anything that screeches I look agree. at me. I I think men should be about I I'm I don't like those at all. I, I I must tell you, I'm not a fan of
0: those. But it's when you watch some shows on TV, a of talk shows, and these guys have there they cross their legs uh, oh and yeah. they have a blue suit on, red socks, are you know? Um, it's such a distraction. It is. I, I, it's agree. A distraction. I, I agree. I know. To me, there's
2: nothing. There's nothing. You don't see that in Europe. That's an American phenomenon. These sort of you know naked ladies on your ties. I mean, you don't see that.
0: <laughs> um, you really see
2: men dressed complete in a style that's for Them and without something jumping out at you, I, I it's too jarring. I don't like any of that.
0: When you're simply relaxing mm-hmm. and not as debonair as we see it today, okay, what threads will we see Joseph Abood hanging around?
2: To me, there's like when I come back after the gym and you know get in the shower and so on, maybe a summer's day, you know, I'll throw in a pair of denims and, and, a, and a fresh white linen shirt. I, I feel it. I hope I look good. You, know, you want to look appropriate. Mm-hmm. But I will tell you, in terms of how you feel, it's a fresh feeling or, you know, a freshly washed pair of denims and a pair of suede loafers and stuff. I love that look. It's a sort of not a, right, not, it's not contrived and not, but in the, in the winter, I know, he's wearing suede loafers. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't see I, the width
1: I, of his pants, you know, though. Right. That, that,
2: right, that, right. that took
0: it away. But, but I will ahead.
2: tell you, in the, in the fall and winter, there's nothing like wearing a cashmere sweater.
0: But now, okay. But now, you just mentioned the white shirt and the jeans, right? Mm-hmm. Getting back to Roger's question:
2: Is that white shirt tucked in or out? I'm 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 not a tucked-out guy. I'm I'm I I don't you know. I've never been that. That's a mm-hmm. little that's a little clubbing it for me. That's a little bit you know Saturday night at the clubs. I, I never like that look. It's I
1: just say you're, you're you're a slumper when you do that. I just think it's <laughs> you
2: know the problem yeah. in menswear is that sometimes we try too hard, mm. and that's trying too hard.
0: What are your passions outside of work that you enjoy doing when it's not in the fashion business?
2: Yeah, well, I, I think, you know, for me, I'm, you know, I'm still able to play squash three times a week. It's a, I always say it's like playing chess, only you're moving, you know, and uh, I, I love that. It, it helps clear my head. Um, I'm still a big fan of uh, coming into New England. I love when the leaves change, and... That's still an inspiration for me to drive up through the Berkshires. It's, mm-hmm. I love that. It's a fairly simple. And I love being home. I, I've traveled so much for business and spent my life all over the world that when I can come home, but uh, also having a place in Boston to come back up. And, you know, I love New England this time of year. Mm-hmm. I just love mm-hmm. it. I
1: really yeah. You. yeah. You're also a breast cancer
2: activist.
1: Tell us a bit about
2: yeah, that. Yeah. My, um, my mom, when I was telling you about Paris, mm-hmm. my mom um, – was diagnosed with, and this is, you know, 1970, and they knew so little about any potential cures. And it was, it was a death sentence back then, which we all knew, and we probably all experienced something like that. Uh, and then uh, my sister uh, uh, passed away from breast cancer. So it's very close. And, you know, I think the issue is how do men help and respond to the breast cancer issue? Because it is about the woman, but we need to be the support systems. I mean, that's... A, That's always so important for us to be able to do, and in anything. I mean, there are so many worthy causes to be involved with, and uh, you Mm -hmm. wish you could do
1: everything. But but you've done a lot. GQ singled you out as being one of the five most influential men.
2: uh, I I, I think it. We all do our part, you know. Mm -hmm. I I think we all do our part. So, Mm -hmm.
0: Joseph, if if going back in time, you when you were studying comparative literature, Mm -hmm. and you didn't go to Paris, Mm -hmm. and you didn't follow the path to be a fashion designer. What do you think you'd be doing today?
2: I think I'd be teaching. I think I always wanted that tweed jacket with elbow patches. <laughs> um, I always had the wardrobe, Roger, picked out yeah. for whatever Is that the occasion. Coming back? Well, yeah, I have them in my store. I have about <laughs> three hundred of them. Should I've always, I always thought, you know, how do I would always want to be an inspiration to my students. And, but I always, I did. Whenever I was going to do, I had a wardrobe attached to it. Um, But I think I probably would have taught. I think I would have loved to have taught at the college level. I think I would have loved to do that. As a matter of fact, when I graduated, uh, I had a few options. I had the the chance to graduate college. I was offered a job to teach at Brookline High School. Uh Yeah, which was – I was so honored at that. Uh, But the world of business um, seemed so alluring and so Mm -hmm. enticing, travel You know, when you're 22, 23 to – travel to Europe and you know where I' never had that experience before so that's why Louis was such an important part of my life the exposure I had Joseph if you
1: could leave um, folks that you know, your customers fans or um, with a bit of insight into Joseph Abu the man the, mm-hmm. the, um, the brand uh, what would you like them to remember
2: right. Well, that's interesting. I mean, I always think that we have to know our place in the universe, all of us, and we have to know what we do. We can't take ourselves too seriously. I've always wanted to know that I've tried to do the best job I could do for my customers. It's not a cure for any illness, but it's an art, and we are in the arts, and and I always wanted to do right, and I always wanted to make American men be more global citizens. And I was always so proud to be an American designer that I didn't want to be a stepchild to our European counterparts. So, That I worked hard, that I was dedicated to quality, and that it's um, something that it's not what I do, it's who I am.
1: Well, to us, you've certainly succeeded. Uh, we're thank really you. most impressed and in you know, honored to have
2: you join us. Today. Well, I love being. It's with been a with you pleasure. And, uh, so, are we doing this every day? <laughs> uh, sure, we can do it next week. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, guys. I really love being.
0: No, with you guys. we just wish you continued success and yeah, love your you. passion and just your your focus and you know your your inner hat about what you're doing. It's, it's wonderful. And, well, uh, we do it. We all do it. Yeah. I know you guys do as
2: well. Yeah. Thank
0: you. Thank you. It's been great.